Hey, honey, want to try something different this weekend? Ooh, what do you have in mind? Have you ever role-played before? Uh, you mean like whips and all that other scary stuff? Oh, no, I'm talking about rolling some dice and playing some Dungeons and Dragons. Or even trying something like a cool new board game or a collectible card game like Magic the Gathering. Oh, that sounds way better than the other thing. <laughs> NobleKnight.com is your one-stop shop for all things role-playing, board, wargaming, and collectible card games. Noble Knight Games is committed to providing you with the best possible selection of new and used products with a selection of over 100,000. Everything on the site is in stock and ready to ship to you worldwide. Discounts are available, and you can expect reasonable prices for rare items. You can even sell or trade your stuff to them. NobleKnight.com, where out of print is available again. So I can be the elf this time, right? Oh, honey. <laughs> Throughout the ages, there have been heroes and warriors who have embarked on quests to save faraway lands and free the people from would-be conquerors. With dice and not a lot of common sense in various role-playing games. Today, our legends come from the halls of This Week in Geek. An unlikely group of nerdy adventurers armed with some pretty stupid ideas and a horseshoe up their butts come together to save the day in These Warriors Are Terrible! Seriously, these are the guys we're going to go with? Hey guys, welcome out to These Warriors Are Terrible Debrief, brought to you by the good folks over at NobleKnight.com, where Out of Print is available again. And of course, our good friends who helped me dress today over at OffRoadDesigns.com. Use promo code BROHOOF to get 10% off your entire order. That is good for international and domestic orders, so check them out. They are most definitely beyond awesome. Uh, now, I do have to post a small correction to this episode. Um, our former Twig intern, AJ Bernard's father, like I did mention throughout this entire session, passed away on May 9th or 10th. And I've been saying his name wrong. It was Denis Bernard, because uh, he comes from a very heavy French background, and they're quite prominent in Welland, Ontario, and actually helped develop the French immersion program for this particular province. So that's kind of neat. A little, little bit of trivia there. May you rest in peace, Denis. You were a very awesome man. So now let's get back to the matter at hand. We are talking about Pathfinder Nightmare Late, the module that I created and ran for these group. And let's just say it went off the rails not too long after we started. <laughs> it so, went off the rails the second we got on that boat. Pretty much. And I, uh, so I guess everybody go around the group and introduce yourselves again. Uh, okay, I'll start. I'm Big Mike. I played Brock Von Hellsmasher, a dwarven bard. Um, yeah, hello. Hi. I'll, go ahead, Tom. I was just saying hi to Mike. Oh, hello. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll go ahead then. Uh, I'm Tom. He's an evil genius white, and I played Arkari, a.k.a. Nash, who is the one-eighth hobgoblin knife fighter who suffered the tragic loss of his chicken. <laughs> uh, the chicken was precious to my character. <laughs> I'm just so a funny. Mr. Eacock. I played the cleric Soth, uh, responsible for the death of said chicken. <laughs> uh, it was really, honestly, I was trying to kill the assassin. <laughs> I did blame you. I blamed the assassin. It was his fault. I blamed my god. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we still have another person. Oh. Okay. And well, because I'm used to you guys pointing at me whenever you want me to talk. Um, <laughs> I'm minds. metaphorically pointing at you, Connell. I'm pointing so hard right now, you don't even know. 
Okay, well, my name is Colin Macbeth, a.k.a. Dr. Holocaust, and I was playing a human rogue who was practically friggin' Batman. Um, <laughs> and I can't remember the name that I used. Uh, the War Garbles? Sven War Garbles. <laughs> so it's multi-syllables with you, isn't it? <laughs> it has to be. Not Sonderblugget von Humpenshire this time. Yes, Sonderblugget was the name of my horse. Is that the name? Because you've always said it so fast I could never quite process it. I, I just know it was the most hilarious combination of syllables I'd heard in a while. It's weird seeing it typed up on YouTube because I'm just looking at the letters and I'm like, holy crap, that does make that sound. It's just uh, I figured out as much as Sonderblugget. Okay, so in today's debrief, there are a number of things that happened during my adventure that I didn't quite count on, namely our number two, which <laughs> I call it the endless fucking dice roll. <laughs> oh, boy. Are you kidding? I didn't do a damn thing. That no, <laughs> Mike, it was really all your fault when you, as soon as you had a woman walking up the stairs to the second <laughs> floor of the, of the hotel, like, what did you expect to happen other than everyone to just forget about the game? <laughs> See, no, no, I everything figured... was going to go fine. I was going to go on, like, a panty raid, but then everything suddenly went wrong when... Uh, Whose uh, house is on fire I right apologize. Now? One of my minions is attempting to cook something, <laughs> and the alarms have gone off. <laughs> so they're failing miserably. Everybody just sit tight. <laughs> Everything's going to be okay. <laughs> All right, they Why did I immediately think that was happening at Dodd's house, though? Hey! Justin, I thought it was at your place. I figured you were at a, going through an emergency drill of some kind at the office. Oh, right, yeah, because I'm always at the office. <laughs> That's where you uh, live, Justin. Yeah, no, I'm right. not currently in the middle of Fort Ecock. <laughs> Just say that really quickly. You enjoy yourselves. <laughs> I, uh, I uh, no, as soon as, uh, as, soon oh, as that I happened, get it. We all basically went wingman style and, and, and started the most epic concert any tavern has ever seen, <laughs> uh, providing lights and sound and, oh. and, a, and a multi-array effects of sensory perceptions, we, we just so that our rogue could go upstairs and, and, and tap that ass. We need to give a shout out to Derek, though, for uh, not being able to make it today. Yeah, unfortunately, uh. Derek the Bard is having to slave away for the man today. And he could not join us. So Derek's character was your sorcerer, your utility mage. He, although he had a fondness for acid every time he could. Yeah, and he had uh, shield the whole time. He was a dragon aspect. Right. He, yeah. Uh, sorcerer, which was I thought was neat. Just see this tiny little gnomish dragon just walking around. No, halfling. Yes, he was a halfling. Yeah, yeah we, we don't speak about gnomes. Blink, blink. Well, well, that quickly. It's just not. Um, it's not gnomes. They're gross. So honest. yeah, the your your story went right off the rails right off at the beginning, Mike. Uh, but I mean, what did you actually have? How, how how what was the pacing? How long did you want us there in that? Did you really think we were going to get out of that hotel in the first twenty minutes? I was fucking hoping. I was hoping you guys would be in and out in twenty minutes. Basically, <laughs> what was going to happen? The assassin was going to go up the stairs, was going to kill her, you were going to chase him through the sewers of the city, you were supposed to interrogate the assassin, so you were going to fight him, but I was going to make him a lot less buff. Uh, but what happened is, because you guys engaged him so early, he didn't get a chance to kill the girl, and he kept rolling fucking ones. Um, thinking, oh shit, now I gotta, uh, this isn't going the way I want. 
And yeah, so that's what happened. And actually, the character of the of the ambassador is one I kind of made up on the spot because I didn't have any stats for her actually. Because she was gonna die. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, you are gonna be DOA. I don't even need to put stats for you. Ah, uh, <laughs> fuck. See, and there, there you go. That that's a really valuable dungeon mastering lesson. If you oh, yeah. put the character yeah. on the screen, you better know who they are, even if they're only expected to survive for ten seconds, because you never know. Yeah. I'm kind you of ridiculously meticulous that unless, way. I stat everyone. <laughs> yeah, unless like you know empirically that they're going to die, like they are already dying by the time the player has found them, stat them. Because you never know what the players might try to do to save them, especially if they're a woman. And on the reverse side, I remember running a game where the opening sequence was going to have this massive explosion, but these three characters, I had expected, okay, they're stacked up with stats, I got a huge backstory, the three of them are these paladins who were sent to deal with it, they're going to live through this, except the opening sequence went so drastically wrong, where all the heroes did all the wrong things, and made it all that much worse, and these three characters who I had these huge elaborate backstories are going to work as the guides to this entire campaign, were all white out <laughs> and i had nothing and i'm like fuck what do i do now how do i now guide my heroes through this story when i've now killed off my guides so that was fun it's <laughs> good uh, yeah things that go off the rails can be exciting though although i didn't think we would uh -huh. be stuck in the same battle for two and a half hours that was interesting. <laughs> See, that's, that is one of the biggest disadvantages, I think, of any system that runs on D20 or anything like Dungeons yeah. & Dragons. Is combat... It, it, somebody summed it up as this. A game where a, walk can, where a three hour walk can take five minutes, where a five second battle can take three hours. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you've all complained about how fast my combat goes, but fuck it, we get shit done that day, don't we? Yeah, whereas with mine, it drags out. It's very cinematic, yeah. but it drags out. And I was going to say, combat taking a while isn't necessarily a bad thing. No, not if you can... It, it allows everyone to have a little bit more control over their individual actions. It, it, everything's more done with like a scalpel instead of a broadsword, uh, mm -hmm. where you really can... You know, Connell's able to bring out all these elaborate items out of his pouch and throw them exactly <laughs> kind of where he wants them to go and yeah. can worry about speed and movement and angles and trajectory, and all that works into the game. Whereas when we did Star Wars Leviathan on D6, it was more just... You know, sp scatter shot all the time, and it was more about the the, the bigger picture rather than the individual actions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I wanted to squeeze a lot more uh, <laughs> kind of story into this, and I think I kind I think I really hit my stride around hour three to try and make it a more enriching experience. Oh I, yeah, hours one and two I wasn't too proud of from a GM perspective. I was thinking, oh shit, I got them sucked in the combat. I had this epic moody thing I wanted to set oh, we up. Were, I was we really invested though. Yeah, we were having a blast. We had Batman throwing caltrops on the ground. We had uh, fireballs turning me into a skeleton and killing me. I threw out my sword out the window. I mean, that opening sequence where uh, Sven kicks in the door, shoots out the dagger, grabs the girl and jumps out the window and floats down to safety was just fucking incredible. That was one of the greatest moments I've ever seen in a game with a rogue. And it's exactly what you're rogue to be. I can't believe it was my first time playing as a rogue. Where have they been all my life? <laughs> I love <laughs> being born a rogue. for that. Oh fuck. It was just like it's all skill checks and shenanigans. Like, yeah. <laughs> like absolutely it's all indirect combat, skill checks and shenanigans, and it's I feel like I was born for this. And that's yeah. the key. You figured it out. It's all about staying out of combat. <laughs> I, well, yeah. You told 
after you fired off that crossbow, did you actually use your weapon for the rest of that entire battle? Um, no. Oh, he dropped uh, it. Uh, yeah, I he dropped, dropped it in order to uh, in order to grab the the princess and leap out the window, or rather, the court mage. She was a princess to me. I don't give a shit. Sure. And then the rest of the entire combat was just shenanigans and items that you were pulling out of your belt. <laughs> Yeah, no, I literally ran up to that guy and was, like, throwing nets at him and caltrops and other <laughs> shit, just, like, because I didn't have my crossbow and I didn't have any other weapons on me, so I was literally just flinging crap. Yeah, no, this adventure brought to you by Thunderstones. <laughs> the, the, the best invention. Oh, yeah, Thunderstones did nothing good for us. <laughs> they blinded Derek and made him deaf twice. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't believe that happened. Just, uh, <sighs> I see the second time around, it's like, would you stop that? What? What? <laughs> um, I don't understand sign language. Another thing that happened during the second hour, and I... This has been a problem with Twat since the inception of the show. How do we deal with player death? And one of the... One of the things I gave you guys, and I totally didn't expect you to use it, because I literally just went through the back of the Game Mastery Guide for about three quarters of the items that that like you guys had, and just gave them to you. And I figured, ah, eh, it casts heal. I don't, they won't have cure light wounds at at this stage, and none of them's a paladin's or a cleric, I, I, truly, except for you. And I don't think you had any healing spells, did you? I had one. Oh, I had used a... yeah. So I figured, you know what? At least this way they have. They have a backup plan. They'll never get to use resurrection. Second <laughs> hour happens. Yeah. So yeah, <sighs> yeah. The, the the one guy who can actually heal things was uh, vaporized. <laughs> so <laughs> was... like, how do we deal with this? I mean, like, we've had games where things should have happened and they didn't. I mean, one good example of this. Once again, me gming. Is actually there are two examples of this that I can think of. One was we, when we were all playing Shadowrun. Steve uh, Steve Sailor was playing um, a mage, and he suffers from something called drain. Every time you cast a spell, it has the potential to hurt you physically. Steve had casted his spell at the highest possible force and rolled a shit ton of ones. This is very bad. Steve should have died in our, I think it was two, in that adventure. But I didn't okay. know how to handle that. So I was like, oh, fuck, I, I better make up something. Good thing he's magical. The, the gods save you, yay. Um, the next problem we had, I think, was with uh, Erica Sasbo when we were playing Star Wars uh, Leviathan. She had an alien head burst in her face. She was literally a number oh, away from having that going catastrophically wrong. Yeah. Man, I only listened to the first part. I gotta hear the rest of that now. Oh, it's... You idiot. You gotta listen to the whole thing right to the very... I gotta say that it's the last ten minutes of the last episode <laughs> and and Julian and and, and what he does... It's just... I won't say anymore. It's just... It's okay. worth it to get right to the end and it really well, invests yourself. All the almost spoilers. <laughs> the... Um, just know who and and when Steve did our Matrix game, uh, it was uh, a scene with a car. And was it Erica again? I think it was Erica again. And uh, her, her, trying to throw the car through the lobby. And uh, 
rolled a, it was like three ones in a row and and a d6 system it was a, a, a serious complication was going to happen here and the serious complication was that she still succeeded in driving the car through the lobby and she was just thrown from the car and i was like that's not so we it worked Steve, you're being a little too nice here. You should have she should have put it in reverse and driven it into the wrong lobby or something. But uh, you know, it it is it, it's tough as a GM uh, to make that judgment no jokes call of women drivers. Of how course. do I no? How do I um? How do I still remain fair and harm my players without just wiping them out of the story, especially in a in a four hour format where uh, you 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 remove a personality from your podcast for the remaining two hours? Yeah. yeah. Honestly, like when we were doing the Judge Dread D twenty, I flubbed a roll while I was climbing a ladder, and yep. um, and Big Mike told me that my foot got caught in the ladder and like twisted or broke. Yeah. And uh. And he was That's asking later, and it's like I, it's like maybe I should have just killed you. And I was like, well, yeah, I you it... probably should have. That would have made things pretty interesting right there in the last episode. Well, here's yeah. here's my thing. You didn't fail. I was looking at the situation. I'm like, should I have killed him? I don't know. But the thing is, you didn't. You failed operating the ladder. So therefore, whatever bad happens to you happens to you on the ladder. Hence, why the twisting of the ankle. I'm like, well, I could kill him, or I could wing him and make him walk around like a cripple. What's yeah. scarier? That is right. Yes, let's yeah. do that. I was I was ready though because my character died very close to the end of that hour uh, to just spend the break between uh, hours two and three to make up a new character or, or take my same character sheet and just be like, "Is there a doctor in the house?" And someone in the audience in the tavern is like, "I'm a cleric," <laughs> <laughs> and you know he just joins your party. I Although think I think that would have been an an interesting kind of twist on it. Actually, what I probably would have done in that situation. Is I would have had your character somehow haunt the group. I would have told you this in secret. <laughs> yes. Like, like you're allowed to harass them, fuck up one role per hour for somebody. See, and, and that's. And but that's, he's on our side. Yeah, but you guys also like, let him uh, die. Character let him die. He let him die. Character deaths in in role playing games can be really powerful if it can help move the story forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, I played a Dungeons and Dragon 3.5 game for five years, all through high school and college. <laughs> and my monk, who I had invested like you know four hours every month uh, in, into this character, and we worked our way from like levels one up to seven or eight or something. And uh, and in one roll, uh, the uh, the the rule of thumb in Dungeons and Dragons is if you roll uh, a, a 20, that's a critical hit. If you roll another 20, that's like a really awesome critical hit. This is going to deal massive damage. And then if you roll a third confirmed 20, a natural 20 um, in a row, uh, that's just, you're dead. You kill the person. No matter, no questions asked, they're dead. Gone. It doesn't matter how impossible or improbable it might be. They're gone. Yeah. And that's what happened. Uh, it was even better. The dungeon master wasn't even rolling the monster dice. We had brought in a friend who had never played to play the role of the boss monster, and he rolled three twenties. So the DM was like, "Fuck! I don't even want to like take this away from him. This is incredible." So he let my monk, who I had been playing for six and a half years, to just liquefy right <laughs> in front of us from like a sonic blast. All the bones disappeared, and I just dropped like a sack of potatoes and that was it and he was gone and it shattered the whole group because it really sent this like feeling like oh shit this is 
this is the battle to end all battles. Our group of six is now a group of five. And uh, it was a lot of fun, actually, to um, it, it go through that experience and create a secondary character where we, we went on a side quest to try and resurrect them. And it, it really brought the story forward where we all sort of, it meant something when a character died. And uh, you can't just shy away from it, but it's um, it can be a really interesting uh, storytelling device if you know how to use it right. You're not just being a... a a dick bag and just yeah. killing right and center. That's not fun at all. If your characters are disposable. Yeah. And the only other game where we've had consistent character <laughs> death is the game you're running next month. Justin is paranoia XP. Cause, and we're not going to tell you too much more than that, but death is sort of the name of the game in that one. Yeah, it's a little bit more slapstick. Um, the it, it's it's less about is my character going to die and more about am I at least still going to look good in the papers at the end of the day. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, so you're uh, uh, everyone in Alpha Complex has multiple clones and and you die in these hilariously unpredictable ways and then a pneumatic tube comes down from the ceiling and <laughs> there you are and you, uh, a new clone walks out with a, another number stamped on their forehead. It can be really difficult for players to change from like the usual mindset in terms of tabletop gaming to that mindset in specific. Um, well, it's really frustrating if you... Well, yeah. Will I had another group of people that I normally did tabletop games with and their reaction was like they got upset when their characters just started dying en masse and they were like, well, no, guys, that's the point of this game. Your characters are supposed to die a bunch and it's supposed to be funny and slapstick and hilarious and stuff. And they're like, yeah, but my character died. And yeah, that, exactly. was, that was kind of funny because they hadn't really gotten into that mindset where this isn't your standard tabletop game and that dying is supposed to be just a regular part of it. Yeah. Well, spoiler-free, I remember there was a point in our game, Mike, where you and Erica, she keeps coming up in the conversation, uh, you, it clicked. Oh, death doesn't have as much meaning as we think it does. And you just started actually having fun and giving into it and just being completely chaotic for the whole group and being as much a danger to yourself as you were to everyone around you. Uh, and at the same time, I remember really fighting with Steve for a bit where he was getting really frustrated and discouraged when characters were being wiped out because uh, he couldn't give himself into the darker side of the comedy of, of, of the game. And it was just sort of like he felt like he was failing. I'm like, no, you didn't fail. You just don't have a say in it. Well, yeah. and, <laughs> how some things in the game go, and the, and that's something to actually kind of um, address here, because as far as as far as I'm concerned, Steve is relatively new to the world of our of RPGs series because we're playing consistently, right? So your game, he's basically welcome the spring fucking training, more or less for him. And I've noticed with him, he comes from a, a different type of player class. And Mike, Big Mike actually posted a blog on thisweekingeek.net about this, which you should go check Great. out. It's, what's it called, Mike, again? Uh, the Sage Abyss? Yeah, and what is the title of your article called again? Oh, uh, fuck, I don't know. The remember. Five Phases of the RPG yeah. Player? Yeah, yeah, something like that. Go check that out. And I find Steve is in the number two to three phase. And what I'm trying to say is, he... You get attached to a the character. The phases of the RPG player. Yeah. Just the phase of the RPG player. When you, because like Justin just said, sometimes it comes down to, are you failing? We saw this during the Avengers uh, module where Steve was nicknamed Captain Ineffectual. And then we had problems. He, he was Craster, Craster in, in, in uh, Star Wars. Yeah. You and, just, you get a character who's just going to not perform as you want him to. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. It comes down to dice rolls and you're just going to roll a bunch of ones. 
Yeah, and it sucks because I don't like having my players not having fun and feeling discouraged, <laughs> but it's sometimes the attitude of the player. And I'm not saying Steve yeah. has a, a bad attitude about it. He just hasn't had the experience with it yet. What it is is, and, and this is nothing to say Steve, it goes down to he hasn't, he, he's, he's figuring it out. And he, I think he figured it out a long way when he ran a Matrix game and learned how little control even the GM has over the direction of the story. Um, we're all working together to tell the story, which means no one person can decide its outcome. And he was having a lot of trouble with his character Characters. And he's, I think he's gotten over that now since actually running a game of, I want my character to do this. My character doesn't do this. I've done something wrong. And that's not always the case. You want your character to do something, but sometimes you really have to just enjoy and revel and roll around in its failure. If your character is going to become a bumbling idiot and a klutz and trip over everything and crash his vehicle into the ground every time he steps onto it, that's not your fault as a player. You're rolling ones. It's going to happen. Work that into your story. Make it yeah. fun, and and that's a really hard, a difficult lesson to learn because it can it, be very hard. Yeah, especially for Steve, who's a writer. He if hey, he knows I'm how he writer. wants them, but but I'm as someone, who, but I'm just saying for Steve himself, he he writes books, he puts out stories. I, I've always thought of him as a storyteller. He. He, he has so much control over every aspect of his story, even though he'll let his characters do what they want to do and, you know, all that. It's very different in a role-playing game where you have very little control over the outcome of the story. All you can do is control how you react to those outcomes. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's, it's, it's an interesting, it's hard lesson to learn. It's just a different type of writing, honestly. Like uh, I find that um, my writing can really writing. shine when I do an RPG, uh, as long as you're just willing to be flexible about it. Like you say, I want these plot elements, and I want them to lead in this direction, but you don't say it needs to go here. You have to kind of leave things open, let the players take it the direction they want. Character who was designed to die at the first minute. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, yeah. I wouldn't even call it writing, though. At that point, it, there's. It, I've, there's something I've been noticing the more I've been looking into RPGs, there are the oddest mix between designing a video game and crafting a story. Yeah. And it's... And you have to strike that hybrid between the two because the second you realize something, you have four to five elements that you have no control over. Mm -hmm. And you have to learn how to influence that without actually directly it's, influencing in that, and that's your players. It's kind of like a group writing exercise, honestly. Totally is, and honestly, I came into it not as a writer. I always came into role-playing games originally from an improv team. We were an improv team in high school. A teacher told us, hey, Dungeons & Dragons is kind of like improv. Why don't you come and uh, try it out over a lunch break? And so I think it was much more of a natural fit than someone who's used to crafting stories uh, on paper um, without... The, the rules of a game around it to someone who is used to playing on stage in front of people and, and making things up on the spot set to different game rules, like the party quirks from Whose Line Is It Anyway or something like that. Um, that's how I came into Dungeons & Dragons was, uh, was from an improv side. And it, it is. It's a mix between it, group storytelling and uh, and improv, it really just you just gotta go with it and just mm -hmm. let yourself be caught up in the current and accept the things you can't control, which is very hard to do. But once you do, it's so fucking rewarding. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, I mean, in terms of storytelling, I came into role playing as a player. I didn't start GMing until I was in high school, and I hated it. 
utterly <laughs> hate it because I never got a chance to be a player. And even now, I'm not a player very often. I'm more game. I think I've game mastered. How many games have we done total? Uh, I've done Pathfinder, was... Star Wars, Shadow. Okay, so all right, I, I I I've had three turns. Okay, so that's not entirely fair to say. I'm having. I find now the opposite is true. I like being a GM more than I like being a player, mm. which is weird because I I often it's consider addictive. it really yeah. is because I don't consider myself a very creative person in this regard. But I find the fact I can keep on my feet and keep you guys guessing, and it seems completely natural. Actually, well, you don't Mike, really I was surprised that. at how well you um you kept that. St- uh, story interesting like uh, you're a natural at like oh, yeah. creating these uh, tense situations and making things seem very real uh, I'm, I was actually very surprised and impressed I love your red herring approach to storytelling Mike uh, both in Pathfinder and in Star Wars that I've played with you directly um, you started off with one way where it's it's we're landing in a boat and we got this weird and, and it was kind of a f- the first half of the adventure was much more light and comedy. I think that was more our fault. But even in Star Wars, it was sort of the same way. Big epic battles. We're fighting with the rebellion. We got to go do this. And there's these slaves. And we're going through the base and shooting away. And then it takes a sharp turn into the depths of darkness. And that last, like, episode and a half is just complete dripping terror and uh, and that was true for Pathfinder it was true for Star Wars I don't know how you do it but the way you're able to grab the tone of the story and then wring it out like a towel and just have nothing <laughs> left but dread left in that towel it was incredible um, and, and no, I think in that, in that yeah. last episode we Sorry, were I, I think we were, all, we were all feeling the cold sweats in that last episode once we got the nightmares I think uh, we were walking through the uh, the forest and we were getting whispers being sent to us of you're gonna kill your friends and you're gonna like it you know that kind of shit that was so creepy you're gonna you're you're gonna worship me as a god by the end of the year that kind of stuff like oh my god it puts the hairs in the back of my head see that all that i completely made up on the spot it's always the the, the improv stuff is always the best in my opinion like depending on who you have running the game it's it can be like the stuff that you do on the fly ends up being some of the best stuff well, because by that point, too, for you, Mike, by the fourth episode, you've gotten to know our characters in a way you couldn't have known when you were writing the adventure. So you're you're being flexible and you're making a story that is tailored for us. And that's that's a gift for a player to get a, a GM like that who's willing to really read their players and fuck with their minds like that. That's so much fun. Because I really want to give you guys the experience of something you've probably never had before. And I like how Tom gives me the feedback where it gives you that mortal terror for just a minute. And there is a line out of the GURPS Cthulhu Punk uh, source book where they talk about the three kinds of horror. There's gross out, there's... uh, I think there's, like, terror, and then there's, like... Utter fright or something like that. I can't ro- remember how it goes. Terror uh, is I'm a big fan of the... yeah. horror is the feeling of dread as you're looking down that hallway and you don't know what's at the yeah. end of the road. I'm a That's big fan of that type of um, of horror. Like, uh, like I like movies like The Ring more than I like movies like Friday the Thirteenth. Yeah, yeah, yes. and 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 it's it's so hard to find that type of horror these days. Because mm. everybody relies upon that, and that's why I really want to do a horror game, but me and Justin were going to do two separate Call of Cthulhu sessions this year, <laughs> but I figure, honestly, let him have that, I'll try something else. 
to be fair, you were planning to do a very different game. Like, it was going to be the same rule set, which we've already done games with the same rule set with Matrix and Star Wars. You were planning to do, I think, a very high supernatural game with a lot of supernatural elements, and it was going to be very more, um, like, actually drawn into other worlds. Whereas my idea was to be much more, you'd never see the supernatural. It would be more like uh, the Penumbra or Amnesia video games, where you feel it. But it's ne- it's always under the surface. You never get to directly witness the evil. Yeah, and with with this particular Pathfinder game, I didn't expect to go down this path because when I started, when I threw you guys the nightmares, the thing that really kind of spurred this on was the response I got from Tom and the response I got from Mike. Because when we went into the forest afterwards, and I said, everybody, you like your entire family's dead. Mike, you had a look on your face. Yep. Like, I'd physically hurt <laughs> And I'm thinking, that's... all right, I got him. No, that's my... That's uh, That happens a couple of times. It didn't really get to unleash it, but that's the point where, um, with me, when I play RPGs, where it's like, okay, it's time to stop playing, now it's time to win. Yeah, and that and, spurred me on something fierce. Cause, and I think you got scared a little bit because you started getting, panicking that I was going to rules lawyer. I'm like, no, I'm not rules lawyering you. I'm hanging you exactly by the rope you freaking give me, buddy. Because <laughs> my plan was, whatever this thing was, I was figure, I'm like, okay, let's figure out how to kill it. Yeah, you're going into survival mode now because he's made it clear he's going to torture you unless you yeah. do. Yeah, I'm sorry, Birdman. You made a really big mistake when you assumed that Big Mike feels things like fear or sadness. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. causing pain to destroy. He's like, yes, I've got him on the ropes now. You fool! You wandered right into his trap. <laughs> but but uh, yeah, the difference in tone between the tavern and the forest, that was just incredible. Yeah, I mean, I'm really proud of the way that went, and... Although I will say this, the only part of this I did not expect is the final battle. Yeah, how quick we killed him. How quick you got through it for one. Oh, I thought you were doing that on purpose. Oh no, that's, the idea that's was That's when we actually started rolling good. Yeah, yeah that's when we start, No, that's when we started working together. Yeah, oh, that too. That, yeah, that's huh. that's what did it cuz when you guys were doing the assassination thing, there wasn't a lot of coordination. There was yeah, yeah. this sounds good. Yeah, this sounds it was, good. No. It was Benny Hill. By the time we had gotten through the gelatinous cube trap, which was hilarious, <laughs> we were all down that hallway and we were very quickly like this, no, this, no, this, 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 doom, done. And we had well, a the plan. Gel- yeah. Gelatinous cube worked as a really great, like, it was a MacGuffin, but it was also a good training mode for us, like a tutorial of how to work together with the team. I just love how everybody's panicking and screaming, and then Derek just starts dumping food on the ground. And it's like, oh, what are you going to do? And then just click, da-da-da-da-da, back down, and nothing happened. And then we all look stupid, and Derek's lunch is all over the floor. Like, it's just... It was the best. Oh, my God. Oh my god. <laughs> the moment when that one went south for me cuz all right, on my on my game master notes, I I specifically said if players succeed A happens. If players don't succeed B happens. And you met a happy medium in the middle. You guys succeeded, you rescued the people you were supposed to, you killed who you were supposed to. You got the hell out of dodge. And then the thunderstone happened. <laughs> <laughs> 
And Thunderstone. I, like Derek, you know what? Um, people should listen to the debriefs uh, before they listen to the episodes because it's really going to get them interested listening to the full four hours. <laughs> like what happened with Derek is when he threw the Thunderstone back, he rolled really good, and then the Pit Fiend rolled really good. Um, like, basically, I was gonna turn Derek into a walking tank and wipe you guys out. Thinking, alright, he did stupid, you're all gonna pay for it now. Right. But then Derek, he rolled a 20. I can't argue with that. There's no way in hell I can argue with that. I'm like, alright, you break the hold, (laughs) you didn't do dumb again, you ran, thank you. And But you know what? I'm sorry, Justin, go ahead. I was gonna say, though, you then took that sort of failure to connect in what you had planned out... And turned it into what I think is the reason I want to return to these characters and return to this world. We're all in this boat. We have, quote, one. Except you've made it clear that we all have, of quote, one. Question mark. Right. But but all of us has this individual curse that's been dropped onto us. Derek will kill our group. I will forsake you know, my deity, each one of us has been told a prophecy that will come true in some way. And, uh, I mean, hell, even if it never comes true, it's going to be one of those things that is going yeah, to keep gonna you up at night. it's going to hang over night. our heads. Right, oh like God. the Damocles sword. When I got the, uh, the, the whole, like, you know, you're going to betray the rest of the party thing, I was just sitting there going like, well, I could just do it now and get it over with <laughs> in a really small and insignificant way. So it's not wrong, but I'm just well, yeah. like, all right, so right this on my to-do list. I'm just going to honestly, Mike, when you tell the rogue, that just gets it out of the way. Like when you tell the rogue in the party that he's going to betray the party and he's going to like it, he's like, yeah, of course I will. It's <laughs> like I'm going, model. I'm going money. to take a dump in everyone's shoes, and that's just that's how. <laughs> I expected you to like betrayal. Like, no, no, I'm taking the woman. You betrayed me. Oh, see, I had him like what? Ah, I've got, look at that. What I've got in mind for your guys in next adventure that gypsy is was right. I'm gonna up the ante, so to speak, uh, for kind of next time. Now that you've been named uh, heroes of the land, the king is incapacitated. The queen now rules. I do have ideas to expand this story, and one of the things that we never do on Twat that we really should, if we really like the game that's gone on, is take a weekend where we're all free and play and not record it. Mm-hmm. But then again, I wonder if we do a disservice by doing that because now we're invested. Like we would. Well, this was the biggest mistake that I made when I did Paranoia was that we didn't play before we recorded. I know yeah. that if I had sit everyone down and actually played through the game from beginning to end at my apartment, everyone would have felt so much more at ease that for the listener at home, it would have been much more, I think, easier to figure out how the game was working because everyone would have been working to the rules of the game instead of kind of figuring it out. Yeah, I, I'm not against that at point. all. Yeah, I would I love to play games off the record and then keep sort of the continuity of that going, though, from what we've done on the air. I think for, like, game systems that we might not be as familiar with, it might be good to have sort of a practice session before we actually play for serious. So. Yeah. I mean, I think games like Call of C- Cthulhu, for example, might almost re require that, but if you do that, you lose the suspense. Yeah. Because there's certain... Well, certain well not the sus- exact same story and whatnot, just sort of have a practice session with the same characters. But well, yeah, not even the same characters. Just have it like, guys, this yeah. is a burn-away session. 
you might all die. And at the end, yeah, everyone ends up dead. Yeah, <laughs> and like one of the rules... And that's prequel information that's kind of referred to. Like, one of the things I'm really looking forward to when Justin runs Call of Cthulhu, and I hope I get picked as a player for this one, is the fact that... You're welcome that, to audition. Yeah, and that's what I want to do. <laughs> because Call of Cthulhu is very... The idea of H.P. Lovecraft and the Cthulhu mythos is you are not meant to win. You are insignificant. Even a small victory is huge on a cosmic scale because you delayed what is essentially the inevitable. But Mm. for humanity to see one more day on this planet or this plane, that's a huge deal. And death in that game will come if you are stupid. I mean, I think Spoonie said it best. He was talking about Call of Cthulhu in one of his uh, vlogs or uh, Counter Monkey things, and he's talking to his GM and says, he's like, look, is is my forty-five Magnum really going to do anything? He's like, no, it's a nightlight. It'll make you feel better. Uh, and and that's the thing with all yeah. these games, we rely on heavy items or abilities to get our way out. We haven't had a real session where it's been okay. I have to think my way out of this. I can't bust through the door as as it were. My See, old D and D group played through Call of Cthulhu, and they told me two things from the story that really kind of like, oh, I want to try this. The very beginning, the they all wake up in a field, and they're all stripped down naked, and they have um, like these runes all like marked all over their body uh, in paint. And, and they have no memory of how they got there. They have no memory of the previous night. And, um, and one of them has blood on his hands. And they immediately had to roll insanity checks. Like at the very first second oh, of the game, wow. and because uh, you, if you yourself in real life were to wake up in the middle of a field out in Milton and be stripped down naked and covered in in satanic runes, you'd freak out too. And yeah. that was the idea that he was going with. And one character almost got to the point where he was going to have to kill the person right next to him. <laughs> uh, from 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 the from the trauma, and then later on, they're being chased by the police. And another thing we call Cthulhu is the laws are much more real and it, it is more rooted in reality. They're being chased by police. The guy has a pistol in his pocket, but he's never fired a gun in his life. And he pulls the gun around and he shoots wildly into the crowd of police. And he hits one of the officers in the head and kills him instantly. But he was a, a regular old human, hadn't done anything, wasn't one of the demons or monsters or anything like that. And for the rest of the game, they're now wanted for murder. They're being chased down by the authorities. And he's also dealing with the trauma of having killed a person. Which, yeah, you see, you know, I won at Call of Cthulhu because I think you guys are starting to get a sense of it now. I am not a big, I am not actually a rules lawyer. I am very much a let's think our way out of this kind of problem player. That's sort of been how I've approached things because the my big strategy for this was whatever we've got that's evil. Birdman just told me that I have uh, gauntlets of planar, uh, bracelets of planar teleportation. I'm gonna jump his ass to a lawful good plane. Yeah, and I never would have thought about that. That's how I. That's how I would have thought. And you and like you corrected me on. It's like no, no, you can't jump planes. I'm like, okay, doesn't work. Otherwise, I would have grabbed the pit fiend or tried to trick him into an arm wrestling competition. Been like, let's go. Now he still would have been able to resist that, just due to unless you rolled twenties, you would have you would have been fucked. Yeah. But still, yeah, the fact that you thought about that's great. I mean, my I have not met a game yet 
that I've had to not rely on weapons. And that's my great goal. Like I'm playing in a separate Pathfinder group right now with uh, guys who will hopefully be doing a show with us remarkable. By the time this airs, there may be one or two episodes already out with my friend who owns a comic book store in Orangeville called The Gauntlet. My character is a woman named Thera. You can see where I got the name from. And she's a sorcerer. I'm a bookworm. I carry a sword and a bow because I'm an elf. I guess it's expected. But you hit me once and I'm fucking dead. And I've always wanted to find that role-playing experience where I get a chance to really act it out, find a group of people that I'm super comfortable with to actually role-play. With this group, not so much. I'm... They call me fucking Hermione. Um, yeah, fuck you. Um, and it's just, I'm look. I think with this group with Twat, I think we can get that here, where we can really embrace the characters and embrace the story. If if it's a system or a world we know really well, mm-hmm. or a world like say Call of Cthulhu, where you don't know shit. Yeah, you are just <laughs> supposed to be a guy. A man, a woman, even a child in this world. And I think that's the beauty of this. I think, for example, with this particular Pathfinder game, I'm finding out where I can strike at people's quote-unquote emotional center. Because uh, particularly with Tom, I'm starting to notice little things with you. Thinking, all right, I know how to take advantage of this. With Connell, all right, because I think, is this the first game I've ever GM'd you, Connell? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm starting to notice little things. I played with you, but now as a player or as a game master, all right, I'm picking Yeah, you're up learning on our tells. Yeah, and and, the- and and that's where, you know, at the end of the day, D&D and role-playing games when friends who've never played, but I know get together and play poker every week, and they're like, what's it like? I'm like, well, it's kind of like poker, but with improv and dice and paper and rules and imagination, you're not actually betting real money, but it's got the same atmosphere. I mean, we got drinks, we got chips. We're certainly gambling. We're just gambling with lives. And it's <laughs> so rewarding. Now, Mike is the hard one to read because he's been doing this probably about as long as I have, but a that lot more and, frequently. You know, that and like eight years of improv training, I can basically project whatever the hell I want and you would have no idea what's going on. Yeah, it's very hard to read you. Like, I like I can pick up on certain things, but they're not 100% clear. So I'm like, all right, might be able to use that, might not keep that in mind. And it's, I don't know, I, I really find, and even with 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 Derek, once again, years of experience, he's a very eccentric, flamboyant personality. I find there's little things that I can pick up on with him, too. But I'm starting to figure out who is my RPG dream team so I can get the story. Like, one of the things I want, and I don't know whether this is going to sound selfish or not, I want that emotional investment rewarded back to me. Because I really want to tell a story that sticks with you beyond you walking away from the table for more than 15 minutes. And I want something memorable to happen. Like, I'm not saying I want to be your summer blockbuster, so Uh to speak. But I want to be that cult classic when everyone, when someone asks you a question. Oh, yeah, one time I did this. Yeah. I I don't want to be Star Wars. I want to be Dawn of the Dead, if that makes any sense. Everybody's heard of it, but not everybody's seen it. You know, though, Dodd, I mean, my character with Craster in Star Wars, uh, Soth not so much because he was just kind of, he died a couple times. Um, But uh, uh, Craster in Star Wars, my character that I had with with, uh, Steve in The Matrix, this group is creating stories uh, that linger with me long after we're done playing. And I want to go back to find out 
how uh, you know Julian screwed us over and 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 get our revenge or return to the Matrix and and see what happens next in the uh, in the outcomes of 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 our adventure uh, to to Pathfinder and find out what happens to these curses and and to our dynamic because whether we all like it or not the five of us are bound together by fate and uh, <laughs> and we're not going to be able to escape that uh, that's that's intoxicating. And it's weird mm-hmm. though because you look at all the games we've we've done. Some of them can be seen as movies. Other of them can be seen as episodic television. For example, mm-hmm. I think Shadowrun was a very good movie because there's no. I mean, there's there's plot threads there for a sequel. Yeah. But as you said, like a really good pilot episode. Yeah, and the last ten minutes are you literally feel the twenty four clock clicking down as shit happens. And with Star Wars, it's an experience like, okay, he's betrayed us. This information is now out in the wild. Now what? And I really, I'm really liking the way our show has evolved all the way back from video game Expendables because I think it's only once we hit. I think, I think in the last few months we've really kind of hit our stride. All of us as players, we're bringing in new people all the time with Connell, Derek. Uh, and Justin being our newest additions, and we're looking to expand the roster even further. We've got Erica, we've got Cassie, and uh, Julian. We've got such a big stable of players that the experiences and the stories that we're creating now, I'm really excited to see where it's going to go. What I like is that it's unpredictable. Is there is no one knows what will happen, and that's one of the best parts of, of any good role playing game is when you have really competent players who are all invested. But when you get to get too comfortable with a group, we I found this when I played D and D is we would have to the DM would just retire and become a player, and someone at the table would become the DM because we had to shake things up a bit to change it because we were getting a little too complacent and a little too easygoing, and then the the DM was getting a little too I don't want to kill all these characters we've worked so hard for it. So then a new person would become the DM, and then all bets are off. Yeah, and that's kind of what I I, I like about Twat how we're changing DMs every every session pretty much. So I know Tom's starting to plan his for later in the year. Oh, I'm super excited about it. <laughs> yeah, like I'm looking forward to seeing what you do because you have such I would call you Tom, you're a very eccentric guy, but I called you a very subdued personality. Mm. I'm really curious to see what you're gonna be like as a DM. I'm really curious. Given what I know of Tom's body of work, I'm actually rather terrified. I think <laughs> it could be a lot of fun. It's uh, gonna be sadistic. And I want to see what Justin can do with a system that more people know mm-hmm. in a different scenario. And I can say, uh, I can't announce the game yet because we don't know it, but we'll announce it at the end of, uh, of a future episode. Uh, Julian has um, uh, been appro- approached us. He, he's really interested in taking us through um, uh, a very interesting new rule set, uh, but in a world that everyone here will find very familiar. I'm definitely so, intrigued. That'll be great. And that's a, a a thing too. I find with with our group, I find we tend to go more towards the actiony, dramatic stuff. I don't know, no, don't know necessarily whether comedy would blend with our group. Now, if we got, did you did you not pay attention to Pendragon? Yeah, but, <laughs> yeah. But, hey, did you not watching Pathfinder for the first two hours? I don't know. Like, Pendragon's just being playing in the tavern while a rogue saved a princess and jumped out a window. That shit was in the chicken. Plus, the comedy I, depends upon the GM, though. I find to set up the players for the situations. Actually, I, I would I, kind of say it's the opposite. Yeah, I, I say kind of um, 
You yeah, set up a situation. You set up serious situations and put weird eccentric characters. Things are going to get funny without you trying. Yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah, think, because like, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is a very serious universe with very serious characters and serious repercussions and ridiculous main characters who do nothing but really goof around. And the whole series hinges on how the characters are funny. Um, the GM, I've always found, their role is to play the straight man, especially in something like Paranoia. Uh, their role is to be, these are the rules, here's the consistency, and they play with a straight face and let the characters go with the comedy. The only reason thing the GM needs to worry about is stopping the comedy and, and, and being flexible enough to let the laughs happen. Okay, yeah... Uh- I, I mean, I, I guess I'm still trying to find that that within myself as a GM to let comedy happen. I mean, with Pathfinder, that's probably one of the funnier things we've done. I don't... I, I know there was a lot of unintentional comedy in Shadowrun, especially Mike and his fucking vinegar trick. Um, <laughs> they, there, there were some serious moments there, but there was also... Steve's. Yeah, or Steve's, I'm gonna fry my own brain. I'm going to pretend invisible with the guy who has the infrared glasses and can easily see me. That was kind and of then funny. I'm going to flip him off. <laughs> yeah, uh, you there, dwarf. Yeah, I can still see you. Oh. oh. <laughs> <laughs> that was uh, a good one. I forgot about there was that some, one. There were some great moments where when we slicked up the hallway with ice to let the guy slide through the uh, the hallway into the open elevator shaft. <laughs> I mean, that one too. Pretty incredible shit. Comedy in in and this is the thing that I've learned I remember learning in improv and, and maybe Mike can attest to this. You don't oh, have yeah. to worry about being funny in improv. Nope. Just keep going and always say yes, the funny will happen organically. Things yeah. escalate very naturally on their own if you have people who have the mindset to let them escalate. Yeah. That's sort of the golden rule. And like, however much, like, I know, Berman, your uh, spe- um, specialty really is having situations where the tension really ratchets up. For me, my entire goal has been to make something that just sounds damn entertaining. To have us all screaming at each other in, in insanity. To, uh, Pendragon was by far my funnest experience. Not, nothing against your uh, Pathfinder campaign, because I had a lot of fun there, too. But just having this rampant insanity where players are... Don't like they're, they're in it to win, but there's just the I, interplay between people is also going on. I found a lot of that really hinged on having Connell actually, uh, <laughs> because you're like yeah, you know about Huppenshire, and can my horse have a mustache? <laughs> it was all these retarded situations. Like, all right, fuck it. Every time I tell people about that game, I get a laugh out of them. <laughs> I've gotten a number of emails and things on Twitter like this is my favorite twat so far. Yeah. It's hilarious. Stuff like that. I mean, I loved it when Connell did his Vita challenge and included that where he's where he <laughs> even added the little pictures like can I call my horse Derby Hoofs? No! Balloon Animal Pope and stuff like that. <laughs> no, I think we have a new all-star character creator in, 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 in the world of Connell. Uh, the work you did in this fucking Pathfinder game was just, there were some brilliant moments where I was just like, I didn't even want to play and roll dice because I feel like I was going to just get in your way. I was like, alright, I'm just going to stand here with my shield planted and I'm, I'm going to watch like everyone else. I want to see what happens. I'll let this I, just, I can't wait to see what this person does next. Now, my, my brother used to play exactly like this. 
um, back when we used to play uh, tabletop games together with like a number of different DMs, he played exactly like this, and I was almost like, I just wanted to go to games just to see what the hell he would get up to, because he would just do random, weird shit. Um, and it was always really entertaining. So yeah, I'm glad to sort of bring that element to the game then, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's nice the fact that we have such a large pool, and even with Mike's Transformers game, we're getting a different range of players. Like, because originally... Well, we still kind of have this. We have the Toronto people and the Prime crew, which is pretty much me and Mike as the main GMs, but we're all interchanging people now. So I'm getting not just this dynamic from here's Erica, Julian, and Cassie, and Justin. We're getting Justin, Connell, Tom, or Mike, Julian. Like, we're starting to see all these interesting dynamics. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm really looking forward, and and I just want to thank you, Mike, for introducing me to Pathfinder and this um and and the D6 campaign was great because it led. If we hadn't played Star Wars, we never would have played Matrix. That was a genesis for that. Um, this show being involved in it has opened me up to a whole new range of of playstyles I never even knew about, and uh, I've been sitting around wanting to do. It, with my own friends and my own time, uh, a return to D and D three point five for a um, an open ended quest to hunt down ten creatures. I uh, think like Shadow of Colossus style, but I'll let the players decide where the world, the directions that they go. Honestly, Pathfinder is going to be more entertaining for me to use than three point five, and and I'm going to be making the switch. Um, so thank you for that. Of course, I mean, uh, and I, I really got to thank people like Jenny over at Paizo Publishing for helping me get the review material for Pathfinder to review on the radio late last year, and people like Chris at the Gauntlet in Orangeville showing me just how flexible the system can be, uh, and what you can really do with it. I mean, and Pathfinder's a game I found can be used ex- ex- exceedingly effectively with miniatures, or it can be completely narrative style if that's the way you want to do it. And that's something I'm, I think we'll talk about in a future debrief when we encounter a system that may function better as a war game mini as opposed to a narrative style of RPG. I mean, there's stuff like, say, Battletech, D&D 4th Edition, mm-hmm. um, and stuff like that where, where it helps yeah, to, to see battle mat or not to battle mat. Yeah, and it's I've amazing. I've got my giant roll-up battle mat right next to me. I mean, it's amazing how much that changes the dynamic yeah. of a game, and that's I, something... I personally really like using a battle mat just because I like the visual uh, thing that goes along with it, and... I know that some people can't stand it, Tom. Uh, but oh, no, I can't. Just, stand oh, I like it. Oh, sorry. Yeah, no. I like. I know that some people can't get it, um, but I prefer it because it gives a visual cue to the things that are going along. along. It, it allows does. me to strategize better. And, uh, and, and, and sure, it allows for. That's what I mean. The scalpel sure. versus the like, broadsword. It allows for you to strategize. It allows for you to be better on on the tactical end, but it pulls you out of the immersion. And for me, like, why am I playing these games? I'm playing it to in, invest myself into this world that the that the game master has created. And uh, uh, throwing a big map in front, or even uh, my one friend uh, Eric puts together these elaborate 3D buildings uh using you know paper craft and all that and he puts little tea lights into the windows and it's really it looks amazing but at that point now it's just a board game and not as invested to me i have to disagree on that particular point because a bunch of dudes sitting around with papers and rolling dice and stuff like that adding in a mat with miniatures doesn't kill the game for me (laughs) to each their own right it it all depends how how do you work in your imagination and, and work with the other players 
I yeah, personally don't me, like miniatures oh, because I don't like the fact that uh, you should be forced to buy extras just to enjoy the game. I just I I cut out little pieces of paper and you know put them on the thing, but. That's yeah. neither here nor there. <laughs> I mean, it's one of the topics we're going to have to explore when we get into a game where miniatures would really help. And we'll see how people handle that. So, guys, we're pretty much at the end of our hour here on uh, These Words Are Terrible Debrief, Pathfinder Edition. Um, like I said, big thanks to our friends over at Paizo Publishing for helping us out. We will be reviewing products from them in the future, so be sure to be checking out uh, thesewordsareterrible.com as well as thisweekingeek.net. Um, also, thanks to our sponsors of OffworldDesigns.com. Using promo code BROHOOF gets you 10% off all orders, international and domestic. And, of course, this show would not even be remotely possible without NobleKnight.com, where Out of Print is available. Again, go check out their vast selection. In fact, by the time this episode airs, uh, this month is free RPG month, and... Uh, because this will be airing in June, so go check it out. As of this recording, there's a sale going on. I'm pretty sure it's going on for a while, so go check out, go check out some of their bargain bin stuff. You can find source books for like a dollar, or even main books for like less than five. So go check it out. A lot of cool stuff. Shipping is not that bad, especially if you're in the U.S., but even the Canada, totally worth it, because hunting these things down can be really expensive. So for These Warriors Are Terrible, we have been... Connell Macbeth, a.k.a. Dr. Holocaust. Uh, Tom, he is an evil genius white. Justin, Mr. Ecock, Ecock. Uh, Big Mike from the 404s. And I've been Mike the Birdman Dodd saying, live free or die hard. And I'll see you again next time on thisweekingeek.net. You have just listened to This Week in Geeks. These warriors are terrible. Did our terrible warriors succeed in saving the day? Did someone do something completely insane and stun the GM into a stupefied silence? And lastly, did someone get punched square in the goodie bags? Also, are there any settings or RPG systems you'd like the terrible warriors to visit? Do you have your own shameful, awesome, or just plain silly RPG adventures? Tell us with a comment on this episode post, or email us at feedback at thisweekingeek.net. Until next time, geeks and gamers, the dice has been put away, the books back on the shelf, and the Cheetos stuck to the floor. For these warriors are terrible!